Like Steve said, I'm Susan Sapp, and I want to thank Steve for asking me to visit with you today. Uh, I was blessed to be pastored by Steve for 10 years before he came to Faith Westwood. Uh, the, I think I've given the sermon, this is my 13th or 14th time, and the first time he asked me, I said I'd rather take a beating than do it. But, so we've come a long way since then. Uh, by way of background, I'm a wife of 29 years and a mother of three. They're 26, 24, and uh, 16. The 16-year-old thinks she's grown, but she's not. And uh, like Steve said, I'm enjoying being a grandma. I've been a Christ follower for 20 years now. And I always believed in God growing up, but in my early 30s, I knew that something was missing. I didn't really know what it was. Um, I wanted more than just believing in God. And eventually I figured out I wanted a relationship with God, and I wanted knowledge of the Bible. How I ended up committing my life to Christ is a story for another morning, um, but just suffice it to say I was a tough nut to crack. But I've been a Christ follower since then, and I, there's nothing that anyone could do or say to get me to give up my relationship with Christ. So another thing you need to know about me is that I'm a lawyer, a Christian lawyer. That make you laugh? I don't blame you. The movies sure don't do us any favors. Do they? Every lawyer portrayed in the movies is a, a arrogant, expensive, immoral, lying, cheating, self-serving, conniving person. My experience has been that that really isn't true for a vast majority of lawyers I know. But like many jobs, lawyering um, is a hard job to do and not lose sight of who you are and what you believe. You have to deliberately hang on to your Christianity and not drop it off at the elevator door when you go to work. But my point is, no matter who you are, where you've been, how you've lived your life, what you've done, what you do for a living, God wants you. He wants a relationship with you, and he wants you to be part of what he is doing here in this world. And I found along with that, relationship with God, he is going to ask you to do some things sometimes. He'll use the Holy Spirit to speak to you, and he'll use the Holy Spirit to ask things of you. See, because there's a crucial difference between believing in God and moving to having a relationship with Christ. I think believing in God means you ask him to come over and be part of your life. Come over and be part of what you're doing. You're in charge, but when times are tough, you go to God for a boost. When our 16-year-old was about five, she would often say, uh, Mom, a little help over here? Believing in God is sort of like that, but having a relationship with Jesus, committing your life to God, seeking to know him and wanting him to know you, it, it involves turning your life over to him and wanting to go be part of what he's doing. The Bible makes clear the difference between believing in God and having a relationship in Christ. First, we know that God wants to know us in a way that is real and personal. In Matthew uh, 22, it says, Love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the first and greatest commandment. He wants your heart. He wants your soul and he wants your mind in a way that's real and personal. And he wants you to be willing to be part of his work. 
In Luke, it says, For whoever wants to save their life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for me will save it. Now, this is a tricky scripture because it's not saying you have to die in order to commit your life to Christ. It's saying you can't hold on to the old you and the old way that you used to live your life and continue to worship the things you used to worship and move forward in a relationship with Christ. You can't hang on to the old you. You can't worship the counterfeit things that we tend to worship and have a real relationship with Christ. So then God uses the Bible, prayer, and circumstance to communicate with us. It'd be a lot easier if he just had a big microphone and said, Susan, here's what I need you to do. But circumstance, Bible, and prayer combine through the Holy Spirit to speak to us. And the Bible in John 14, verse 26, makes that clear. It says, The Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. So then answering his call, point number four, is answering his call and stepping out of your comfort zone to do something you could not do apart from him is an opportunity to experience him, not just believe in him. And we know that from John 15, verse 5. I am the vine, you are the branches. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. So the sum total of these scriptures is that we can plan on God calling us to do some things outside of not just our personal comfort zone, but our spiritual comfort zone. So with that biblical background in mind, the scripture we're focusing on today is Matthew 14, verses 25 to 32. If you have your Bible, you can read along with me. But I want you to think about this, this time, from Peter's perspective. Shortly before dawn, Jesus went out to them walking on the lake. When the disciples saw him walking on the lake, they were terrified. It's a ghost, they said, and cried out in fear. But Jesus immediately said to them, Take courage. It is I. Don't be afraid. And then Peter steps up and he says, Lord, if it's you, tell me to come out on the water. Come, Jesus said. Then Peter, and only Peter, got out of the boat, walked on the water, and came toward Jesus. But then he saw the strong wind, and he was afraid. He started to sink, and he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and caught him, saying, You have little faith. Why did you doubt? When they climbed into the boat, the wind died down. And those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. See, the tendency with this scripture is to just stay on the surface and just think, wow, that's a cool trick. Jesus walks on water. It shows he's powerful and supernatural, and he let one of the disciples come along. 
But let's drill down deeper in the scripture because I think there's another side to it. When we think about the story from Peter's perspective, it actually tells us more about Peter than it tells us about Jesus. The view from Peter's perspective teaches us about what God wants from us. We can choose to be like the other disciples. They stayed safely in their spiritual comfort zone. They stayed in the boat. And then they said, wow, he really is the Son of God. I believe. So clearly, they believed in God. Or we can choose to be like Peter and do what he did when God calls us to do something. We can be like Peter and we can say, I'm available, God. If you want me to be part of what you're doing, tell me and I'll come out on the water. What you're asking me to do is pretty crazy, but if it's really you, God, I'll do it. So when we view the situation from Peter's perspective, the application to our own lives starts to become clear. What we know from Peter is that, number one, God calls the unqualified to do his work for his glory. And two, we know that God wants to use us even when we're afraid. When Steve first asked me to give a sermon, I was two things, unqualified and afraid. And by pushing past that, in, outside of my spiritual comfort zone, I came to understand our third point, which is God doesn't need us to be part of his work. Was I the only person that could fill in for Steve? Of course not. God doesn't need us to be part of his work. He didn't need Peter's help to walk on the water. He wants us to be part of his work. And if we will step up, he will give us reassurance, and he will equip us to do the things he's calling us to do. And the thing I'm going to tell you I know for sure is that our life will be changed if we say yes when God calls us to step outside of our spiritual comfort zone. And our life will also be changed if we say no. What we also know from Peter's story is that God doesn't really care about our spiritual comfort zone. I've tried to explain it to him. He does not care. Did you, did you know that the most frequent command in the Bible is fear not or do not be afraid? But I don't think God says it like a hundred times in the Bible because he wants us to be spared emotional discomfort. I think he says it because fear, our own fear, is the main reason we are tempted to not do what God calls us to do. Fear is the main reason that we don't respond to his call when he's calling us to come be part of his work. For example, early on in my walk uh, with Christ, I was afraid to pray out loud. I didn't know what to say. I even bought a book called uh, The Idiot's Guide to Prayer. I thought, like, if I memorized some professional prayers, then I would get an A in praying or something. I don't know. When I finally figured out that praying is just talking to God and that there's no real right way to, prayer, to pray, it gave me a lot of uh, comfort to be able to pray 
personally, but praying out loud in front of other people was still scary to me. And I was really hesitant to bring prayer into my workplace. But God kept bugging me, kept bugging me to be willing to pray with people, even at work. I was afraid, though. I thought, well, what would people say about me? But I decided to jump out of the boat anyway, and God equipped me with the words and gave me reassurance that it would be okay. One of the first times I asked to pray with a client was right before we started a trial, and later she told me she'd never thought she'd be so lucky as to have a lawyer who was willing to pray with her. So I decided to keep praying for and with clients when I felt led to, even though I felt unqualified, even though it made me afraid. And what happened is it really changed how I felt about my job, what I felt about my role in people's lives. Now, to be clear, when I'm talking about stepping outside of our spiritual comfort zone, out of the boat, boat, so to speak, I'm not saying that God is asking us all to be race car driving cliff divers, okay? Our, all of our challenge is to discern when it's he who's calling us to do something. Usually he makes his call known. It can be a pervasive tap, 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 tap on the shoulder or a recurring thought of great intensity. Sometimes it's the craziest thoughts of great intensity. Anybody felt called to do something just crazy and you knew it was God? Yeah. Or for a lot of us, it might be something as simple as asking yourself every day, who has God put in my life and why might they be there? And if you pray about that person, I promise you, God will reveal to you what he's calling you to do in that person's life. And just like Peter, we then have the choice to answer the call or to remain comfortably in the boat. Now, I think it's important to note in Peter's story that Peter had a relationship with Christ. He didn't just believe in God. And we know that because Peter didn't try to tell Jesus what Peter was going to do and then ask Jesus to bless it. He didn't say, hey, Jesus, I'm going to walk in the water with you. Could you give me a little help over here? He also didn't ask Jesus for reassurance that he was qualified to walk on the water before he was willing to step out of the boat. He didn't say, okay, Jesus, I'm, I'll come out with you, but promise me I won't sink. Peter knew that even though he felt unqualified and afraid, Jesus still wanted to use him. Jesus didn't need Peter's help to walk on water, but Jesus wanted Peter to be part of it. And in that moment, Peter's life changed because he was part of something with God that he knew he could never do apart from God. So what first got me thinking about this scripture from Peter's perspective is an experience I had about 12 years ago uh, involving a man named Harold. Harold was my grandmother's friend and companion for 11 years uh, before he died at age 87. Harold came into our lives after my grandmother had buried two husbands, and Harold literally had no relatives. I had never met anyone with no relatives, but no spouse, no children, no siblings, no cousins, no aunts, no uncles, no nobody. So we folded him into our family. And we got to watch Harold and my grandmother uh, enjoy some wonderful adventures and travel. In fact, when she was 89 and he was 83, 
they parasailed off of a Disney cruise boat. There's even a picture of it. I told her from then on we could no longer leave them unsupervised. Harold was important to me because he was important to my grandmother who was my best friend for my whole life. Eventually, my relationship with Harold also included being his lawyer. Unfortunately, 11 years into their friendship, Harold fell and broke his hip. That fall evolved into several surgeries, another fall, pneumonia, and eventually he died four, days, or four months later. Our family did what we could to help him, but he got better and worse and better and worse, and then eventually he passed away over the course of a couple of difficult weeks. Now, one more key thing for you to know this morning about me is that my comfort zone is in being a lawyer. I've done it for 28 years. I'm comfortable in that arena. I generally know the answer. Somebody asks me a question, very comfortable. What is outside my comfort zone is any kind of rodent, blood, bodily fluids, serious illnesses, and injuries. Obviously, I did not go to medical school. Unfortunately, I still get teased about something that happened 40 years ago when I called an ambulance when my youngest brother jammed his finger. finger. So if there's an emergency, you don't want me around. The thing that most of all I don't do, though, is I don't do death. Or at least back in this time, I didn't. Before my experience with Harold 12 years ago, I could talk to people about death. I could help them plan the medical care they might want, talk about their last wishes, but just as a hypothetical. Fortunately, God gave me a couple of great friends who are both critical care nurses, and they helped me understand what Harold was going through and how his illness would likely progress and what to be watching for. But the truth is, I was only asking them questions so I could do a good job as Harold's lawyer. It never dawned on me that God would ask me to become spiritually or personally involved in his passing. And frankly, I wasn't willing to do it. I don't do death. I admire people who do death. I don't do it. I assumed God knew that about me. So I didn't think he would ever put me in a position of dealing with somebody's death. To be clear, I'm not trying to pat myself on the back about the situation with Harold. In fact, I'm pretty ashamed of how I acted when I realized that Harold's death was going to land in my lap. It was all coming to a head, and I was sitting outside of the hospital in my car, and I was yelling at God. It was kind of a spiritual temper tantrum. It went something like this. You've got to be kidding me. I, I'm not qualified. Harold shouldn't be stuck with me. I don't know what to do. And then I turned to sarcasm. I said, you know, God, when people visualize the final days of their life, I'm pretty sure they aren't saying, I hope my lawyer will be there. And then I pleaded. I said, God, I don't know how to do this. And then I reminded God. I said, you know, I don't do rodents, blood, bodily fluids, serious illness, or death. I do legal papers. His legal papers are in order. What more do you want from me? God was pretty silent after that little temper tantrum. I kind of imagine Jesus just turned to God and said, as you may recall, Susan is one of our more difficult children. But eventually, it became clear to me, just as if God had spoken directly to me, through circumstances, prayer, counsel of others, 
and the Bible, I eventually saw that God was asking me to get in the ball game and attend to Harold's physical, spiritual, and emotional needs until he died. The circumstances that caused this were that God pretty much put everyone else out of town the week that Harold died. Everyone else that I might have tried to get to handle things for me. My husband was out of state. Steve Todd was out of state. My mom was out of state. My sister was in town for a few days, but then she had to leave. And it was when I was watching my sister and her husband interact with Harold, make sure he had hymns and a Bible to comfort him, and they were giving him reassurances of heaven, that I started to feel that tap, tap, tap from the Holy Spirit. But I didn't listen. I just sat there silent while they were talking with Harold about the end of life that was coming up. Later, my sister made a passing comment that I, w that I was in lawyer mode in that conversation. She didn't mean it to be unkind, but it made me defensive. And I thought to myself, I am in lawyer mode because that's what I am. But later that night, I felt this really strong nudge or perhaps a push from God. And I actually said out loud to myself, No, Susan, being a lawyer is what you do. It's not who you are. What you are is a Christ follower. And I knew that being a Christ follower, follower meant God was going to ask me to do some things I didn't want to do. But I was still reluctant. I'm very stubborn. And I was still reluctant to get involved. So the Holy Spirit pulled out the big guns, prayer and wife, wise counsel. Uh, Steve was out of town, so I called another pastor friend of mine and asked him what I should be doing to try to help Harold. I told him I'd been going to visit Harold. I was talking to my grandma. I was taking my grandma to visit him. I had done my lawyer thing and signed his DNR. My pastor friend said, now I just needed to be there for Harold. And I didn't really know what he meant. So I asked him to pray for Harold. And my pastor friend, friend said, no, he would not pray for Harold. I said, why not? He said he was going to pray for me instead. I said, why? I'm not the one dying. He said he was going to pray for me because what I was doing for Harold was really important to God. So as he prayed for me, it hit me. God was calling me to do something that I could not do without his help, but that he would help me if I was willing to step out on the water. And after we prayed, my pastor friend said, Susan, do you want me to come to Lincoln to help you? I said, no. God's big enough to handle this, and I'm going to be okay. So in that moment, I had a choice to make. It's one we all have to make at one time or the other. And that is, do I want to be part of something God is doing, or do I want to be comfortable? Do I want to be part of something God is doing, or do I want to be comfortable? Do I want God, or do I just want things my own way? So I made my choice, and I prayed the most dangerous prayer there is, which is, okay, God, I'm available. The next few days, I sat with Harold and made sure that hymns were in his room, playing, and I held his hand and asked others to come visit him and prayed with him and read the Bible to him. And it was crazy because 
I, the words just started coming out of my mouth, words and scriptures, and I seemed to be able to turn to pages in the Bible that made sense, that seemed to fit, and I wasn't even thinking about it. And even the whole bodily fluids and end-of-life stuff didn't bother me. It was crazy, and it was something I could not have done without God. But now I have to tell you about the part where I failed. That's the part where I wasn't there with Harold when he passed away. That morning, Harold had seemed pretty stable, so I ran down to my office for a while. I told him I'd be back around noon, and Harold died at 11.45. I think it was just like Peter. I got scared on the water and started to sink. So I retreated back to my office, my comfort zone. Other people tell me it happened just as the Lord intended it. What I do know that brings me peace is that right before I left Harold's hospital room for the last time, as I was saying goodbye to him that I'd be back at noon, here he was, this dying man that hadn't moved hardly at all for a couple of days. And as I was saying goodbye and telling him I'd be back at noon, he used both of his hands to pick up my hand and kiss it. After he passed away, I thought a lot about what had happened, and I, and, and I thought maybe I'd gotten some things figured out about God. But the truth is, God is way bigger than that. We get occasional glimpses into who he is, peeks into his purposes, but we don't ever get to fully figure him out. Every time I think I have, he proves me wrong. But a few months later, I went on a trip to New York City. It was unlikely, it was unexpected, it was weird that my husband went with me, but I thought God was putting the pieces together so that my husband could visit his dad in New Jersey, maybe for one of the last times. But God had something entirely different planned. Um, the day before we arrived in, in New York, my husband's favorite aunt in New Jersey learned that she was going home to die with incurable cancer. So we adjusted our trip and we spent the last day with her, helping her uh, get her affairs in order. And rather than go into lawyer mode, everything I had learned in my experience with Harold came back to me in this situation with Louise. I, I knew to find hymns and sermons on tape for her to listen to, but more importantly, I knew just to start talking to her about the promises of eternal life and the gospel. She was a Christian, but she was understandably frightened and confused by a rather sudden turn of events in her life. So I just started praying with her and reading scriptures to her, and every time I stopped, she would say, uh, Susan, say more of that stuff you were saying before. And I knew that God had used Harold's passing to prepare, prepare me for what only he knew was coming with Louise. And when she died six days later, I knew where she stood with God. And I felt great peace and assurance. And I knew that just like Harold, when Louise arrived in heaven and stood before God, he would ask her two questions. What did you do with what I gave you? And what did you do with my son? And I knew that then Jesus would walk up and say, it's okay, she's with me. So bottom line, my experiences with Harold and Louise as they died were really pretty ordinary life experiences. But what is extraordinary is God. What is extraordinary is Jesus. What is extraordinary is how they love us even when we drop the ball. And how more than anything, they want to be in a relationship with us now, just the way we are. 
So if you've never turned your life over to God and acknowledged Jesus Christ as your Savior, I really hope today is the day you choose to do it. Even if it's scary. Even if you feel unqualified. All it takes to acknowledge that we have all sinned, that eternal life is a free gift from God, and Jesus has already paid the penalty for our sins. All we have to do is ask God into our hearts and to save us, and he will. Let's pray together. Dear God, so many of us have believed in you, but never truly gotten to know you or your son. We know what you want from us is a real and personal relationship. And you want us to acknowledge that we want you more than we want things our own way. Open our eyes. Help us see where you want us to be. Give us the courage to step out of our comfort zones. Give us a heart that wants to be part of what you're doing. And forgive us and help us to forgive ourselves for the times we failed. We are so thankful to you for the many, many blessings you give us, far more than we earn or deserve. We turn our hearts over to you today, Lord. Amen.